the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for all for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. This is the gospel of the Lord. Congregation, please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In that first reading that Joe read, Moses said to the people standing at the base of Mount Moab, Choose life. Choose life. Seems so simple. A no brainer. Who wouldn't choose life? Then we get to the four concerns that Jesus has in Matthew. And let me sum them up for you. The four concerns were anger, adultery, divorce, and oaths. Oaths. When we hear Moses say choose life, and then we hear those four things that Jesus is concerned about, we realize how terrible we are at choosing life. And I'll just speak for myself. Choose life over anger, Jesus says. Well, looking at the state of the world this week, I was probably more angry than I'd like to admit. Choose life over adultery, Jesus says. Technically not a problem for me, but I will on occasion buy a People magazine if Brad Pitt is on the cover. 
Y'all grabbed it. Choose life over divorce. I blew that one. Choose life over oath breaking. I wish I could tell you that I've kept my New Year's promise to give up swearing. But then I'd just be lying and swearing. So it's not so simple. Or maybe it's just not so simple for me. But then I've been around some of you. I know it's not so simple for any of us. We all struggle to choose life on a daily basis in both ways, big and small. And when I read this clear mandate from God about the imperative of choosing life and the consequences, it's hard not to feel dejected by all that I cannot accomplish, especially when I'm so close to being perfect. <laughs> Sometimes we think we are close. If you're anything like me, you grew up in a faith tradition that emphasized obedience and striving toward keeping God's commandments. You try and you try. And then you fail like you're bound to do. And the weight of that failure is even more heavy because some delusional part of you believed that it was up to you and you had the skill set to keep things from going off the rails. There's science behind this. It's a psychological maxim called the rule of regret. The rule of regret. So psychologists studied Olympic athletes, Olympians after the Olympics. And what they found was that the highest level of regret and dissatisfaction felt by Olympians were not the athletes who finished third or fourth or even fifth or sixth. The highest levels of regret were expressed by second place finishers. They were the most likely to experience depression after the Olympics. And why? <coughs> because they believed they could win. And they came close only to fail in front of everybody. That's what makes relating to God by way of commandments so difficult. Who can do it? And when you believe you can, you are only setting yourself up to a spectacular crash and burn. And so I don't even get why Moses is telling these people to choose life. He has lived with these people for 40 years in the wilderness. He knows that they can't choose, that they fail to choose, that they are incapable of saving themselves. But what if Moses isn't just talking to this band of weary Israelites gathered at the base of Mount Moab? What if he's talking to all God's people, to all of creation, to all of us who have been brought forth in this world by our God? Maybe there is one who could choose life. Maybe his words aren't for everyone, but for the only one listening who could actually take responsibility for God's commandments and hold to them. It makes me think of my niece and nephew when they were little and they would spend weekends at my house. They are the exact same age as my older children, Abby and Garrett. And so when I would have them all at the house, 
cleaning up a house. I'm in the living room cleaning up, and I notice that there is this wet, glittery spot on the carpet in front of the bookshelf. And I just had no idea what it was. We didn't have crafts out this that day. There was like no water. I, why was there a wet, glittery mess on the floor? What was this substance even? I was totally freaked out. So, I mean, I knew it was the kids. So I called the four of them over and I demanded a confession. And no one messes up. So I'm like, I have to find out what this is so that I can clean it, right? I don't know what it is. I got to find out what it is. So I decided to try something different. And I say to the four of them, you know what? I'm not mad. I just wonder if anyone has any ideas of what could have happened. And that's when my nephew Josh goes, you know what? I wonder if a snow globe fell off the shelf. <laughs> and I look up, and there is an empty snow globe on the shelf with a giant crack in it. I wasn't talking to all four of them. I was only talking to the one who could take responsibility. And we who follow a crucified Lord know who Moses is talking to. He's talking to Jesus. He's talking to the one in all creation, to the one person in all creation who can choose life. Who was sent here to choose life. And Jesus does choose life, but not for himself. Jesus chooses life for us. He chooses to hold our lives in his hands and say, I will take responsibility for what they fall short on. And we know that story. We know Jesus fulfills what we cannot. And when we grasp that love, we experience hope and gratitude. And we understand the other truth about the rule of regret. Aside from first place winners, guess which place psychologists found the highest degree of satisfaction? Third. Third place. Turns out people in third place are just ecstatic to be on the podium. Right? They didn't have a shot at winning. They knew that. So they're just happy to be up there. That's us. When we get what Jesus is up to in this world, he's here to collect us from the shame of failure and heartache and doubt. He's here to carry us on the back of the cross toward heights we could not reach without him. And like all those third place winners out there, we are just happy to be included in Jesus' plans. So happy we find ourselves able to say, Thank you, Jesus. Now what can I do for you? And Jesus today in our hearing says, I'm so glad you asked. There is something you can do with your gratitude. You can stop making these commandments about saving yourself. And you can start to see how these commandments are meant for you to use to be in relationship with each other. 
Jesus says to us, I've got your salvation covered. I chose life for you. Now you worry about saving each other. You worry about choosing life for each other. And he does that by taking these very black and white, eye-centered commandments that are all about me saving my own neck, and he expands them to include our neighbor. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not murder. But I say to you, if you are angry with a brother and a sister, you are liable. He brings our brothers and sisters into the equation. Can you hear the difference? Instead of trying to stay in your own lane of salvation and just seeing to it that you get to the promised land, that you get to heaven, Jesus says, focus on what it means to the person standing next to you. How can you show me gratitude for the love and mercy and compassion I have shown you from the cross, Jesus asks today? You can refuse to stay in the lane of your own salvation. Because yes, when we work on our own salvation, we get to heaven. But when we work on the salvation of others, we bring a bit of heaven to here and now. That's what Jesus is all about, getting us into each other's business in the best possible way. And now I have the simplest little story of what that looks like. I will not name names this week, but I was talking to a fellow parishioner on Tuesday, so now you know who you are. She told me one of the things that helps her get through the week and has kept her connected to her faith has been her participation in choir the last 15 years. For her, it's this life-giving thing. And it almost didn't happen, she said. She'd been here for years, and she had wanted to join, but she had these two little kids, and she was always busy, and she just kept, kept telling herself, you know what, I don't have time. I don't have time. That, you know, this is about me. I don't have time. I got to focus. I'll get to that when I get to that. And then one Sunday, she got in line for Holy Communion, right? And she was singing the hymn as she was waiting in line. And you know, we have two lanes in Holy Communion, right? Two lanes that you come up through and you're, you are supposed to stand nicely in your lane <laughs> and not bother the person next to you. Well, one of you broke the rule. I won't say who. But one of you heard her sing, and you stepped out of your lane in the middle of Holy Communion, and you said to her, wow, you can really sing. You belong in the choir. And that was it. That's what she needed to hear. That's what happens when we grasp what Jesus has done for us as individuals. <clears throat> We find ourselves unwilling to stay in our own lane, to swerve into each other's lives and see to each other's salvation in ways big and small. And I'm a firm believer that if a sermon isn't for you, then it's about you. It's about you hanging on until God Send someone to see to your care and your hope and your healing. And just know that the rest of us third-place losers are coming for you. 
We are coming for you. Jesus insists. Thanks be to God. Amen.